I think that we're all interconnected in ways that we can't see. I think that there's another layer of reality, if you will. I mean, in science, we know there are things we can't measure. So I think it's something like that, where it's some realm or layer that we just can't measure yet, but that connects all of us in different ways. And I think not just us, I think connects us through time. Hello, and welcome to the Connectedness Podcast. Just as you might have guessed, I talk about connection and connectedness on this podcast, our connection with everything in the world around us. Whether you see it or not, we're all connected, and it doesn't matter if it's our dog, our cat, our God, our body. And I'll also talk about some more abstract connections like our career or our land, our community, our emotions, your body. Life is all about connection, so the sooner we recognize that, the sooner we can have an easier, more meaningful life. I will talk about these connections through different lenses, things like synchronicities and coincidences, or just everyday little bits of magic and miracles that we, we usually dismiss. It's really important that we pay attention to all of this so we can live an easier, more meaningful life. So welcome to the show. I'm your host, Karen Cleveland. Hello, everyone. So on today's show, among other things, we're going to talk about coincidences, which you probably know I'm excited about. So today on the show, I have Mona Sabani. She is a cognitive neuroscientist, author, and entrepreneur. She's a former research scientist at the University of Southern California, where she holds a doctorate of neuroscience from and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Vanderbilt University with the MacArthur Foundation Law and Neurosciences Project. She is the author of Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, a Neuroscientist Discovery of the Ineffable Mysteries of the Universe, which is basically a book at the intersection of science and spirituality, and she will talk a little more about that. I became aware of Mona through an organization I follow called Institute of Noetic Sciences. She had written an article about coincidences and other things in it, which, of course, is a topic I'm hugely interested in. So I would just like to say welcome to the show, Mona. I'm really excited that you're here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here, too. Yeah, good. So I'm so curious because you have this law and neuroscience background, and then yet you come over and now you work with some more curiosity things about spirituality and consciousness and that kind of stuff. So can you tell me your background growing up, for example, what was your spiritual take on the world or what was your your spiritual upbringing? Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't grow up in a very not religious household at all. And my mother is pretty spiritual, actually, but no specific kind of spirituality, just yeah. spiritual. But when I was, let's see, um, around middle school, I guess, I remember thinking about religion or faith. And I guess from even an early age, I it just didn't, maybe because of Western culture, I'm not really sure why. It just didn't make sense to me. Or I just thought, oh, I don't know about that. So <laughs> I just, I wasn't very spiritual. But I would say though, I, I'm starting to like, I mean, I may have written about it in the book. I'm starting to remember I was very connected. I think of it now as very connected to the universe when I was in college, but I didn't think of it as spiritual. And I didn't, even think about it. It was just kind of how I functioned where I had a lot of coincidences and crazy oh. ones and synchronicities happen all the time. 
And I would always write them down, actually. Like I had a journal that I would I'd be like, oh, you won't believe like the crazy coincidence that happened today. But then I went to graduate school and then my undergraduate degree was in physiology and neuroscience. And then my graduate degree was in neuroscience. And by the end of the PhD, they kind of beat the magic out of you. And you yes. see that the universe is right. dead and ra- random and meaningless and that all meaning is created from our brain. Yeah, absolutely. So what led you into neuroscience in the first place? I was very interested in why humans behave the way that they do and also the dynamics between people. I thought it was interesting how with some people, you it was like you've known each other your whole life. And then with other people, it was like no matter what you did, you couldn't sync up or it wasn't natural. And so I was just interested in basically all human behavior and then the brain in particular I don't know, just I took a psychology class in AP psychology in like 11th to 12th grade. There's a chapter on the brain. And when we got to that, I just like, I loved it. Neuroanatomy. And I just knew, I just was like, I just love the brain. Yeah. So it's interesting because you, looking back, you noticed how connected you might have been earlier in your life and you wrote your coincidences down. And I think it's interesting that we just assume that's normal, even though we don't put words to it. And, you know, we don't necessarily talk about it with anyone else sometimes because we don't know it's not just happening. It's not normal for other people. And of course, it is normal. But anyhow, you were saying you're a hardened scientist. They beat the whole spiritual aspect out of you. What started that transformation back to being curious about spirituality? Yeah, well, it was basically an existential crisis, I think. I mean, it was a number of events as these things typically tend to be for some people. But I had graduated. I had a great job at USC, but I started to think about existence and kind of thinking to myself, is this it? Uh, I wake up every day, go to work. And like my work was fulfilling sometimes, sometimes it wasn't. But, you know, there was like something missing. And I just I didn't know what it was. And at that point, I became anti-spiritual and Uh anti-religious. But I think that also is something you kind of pick up in the scientific culture, I guess. So I didn't even think about it at all. But what happened was I'm Persian. And then in our culture, we have tradition of divination, which you can use anything tarot cards to get insight, you know, about what's going on with you. So my mother and my grandmother would read coffee grounds, which is not American coffee. It's a totally different kind of coffee. American, you're like, oh, that sounds weird. It's like a thicker kind of coffee that you leave the grounds in the cup and then they dry and they form images. And so it's basically like association, just like tarot. But okay. if you have somebody who's intuitive, they can pick things up about your life. And so my mom would do that for me. And I never believed in it or paid attention to it. But then I would take notes as a little budding scientist and whatever she would read for me. And then I noticed the things that she would say would come true. So, I mean, oh. that's that's one kind of coincidence, right? And it would be things that there's no way that she could know we're coming or even I could know we're coming. So it's not like I knew something was happening and she read it off me. Like they would just be things months down the line that would be unexpected. So then I thought it was weird, but I couldn't explain it with my science. So I ignored it and just lived in cognitive dissonance. But then in 2016, there was a big emotional event that she saw. It was like a really weird thing for six weeks. She would read my coffee when we'd get together on Sundays. And she was saying like, uh, and she got like weird and she was like, oh, I think you're going to get some bad news. 
And she never said anything like that ever because she thinks it's fun entertainment, you know, right. she doesn't take right. it seriously. But this one was different. And she was like, I, I think you're I think you're going to get bad news. She was like, I don't want to scare you. I don't know what it is. She was like, I'm not sure exactly what it is. But and then six weeks later, one of our professors at USC was killed by one of the students. And it was someone I had worked with on one part of my dissertation experiment. And so, I mean, the whole thing was like shocking and upsetting. But I called my mom and I was like, I think I know what it was. And I told her what happened. And she said, yeah, it was a death. I saw it was a death. She was like, but I don't want to tell you because, you know, what if I was wrong or it didn't happen or something? So then because it was a death, I think it shook me, you know, in a way that the readings hadn't before, because before it was not a big deal. It was silly. It was whatever. It was like, don't lose money, pay your bills. But this one yeah. was different. Yeah. Was death, yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? Is there yeah. such thing as fate or destiny? Or does time not work the way that we think it does? Maybe it does flow backwards. It upset me greatly. And then, but I didn't do anything with it because I was very busy at the time. But then a few years later, she saw another thing and it was a relationship ending. And then that was kind of like the last, it was just like these things, like these little things over the years building up. And then I felt like that was the last leg of the stool is what I call it now. And then once that was out, it was just like the dark night of the soul. Like I felt hopeless and despair. And what is the point of this suffering? Still get emotional thinking about that time. And then from that darkness, when I could finally come out a little bit, I started to explore what are these readings and what is the nature of the universe? You know, is there a such thing as fate or destiny? And, you know, before I wouldn't have entertained those ideas because of my science background, but suddenly was in my experience uh, right. and I couldn't deny it. Right. So it's like I could be curious and explore or I could ignore it. But at that point, I couldn't ignore it. It was too big of a thing. Yeah, I think that's what has to happen. Sometimes we ignore it for a long, long time and then it needs to break out. And, you know, it's interesting. I didn't even realize this till you were talking about it. One of my, I guess, things that prompted me to seek more as well was someone saying that my dad was going to die. And they told my sister that it was a reading she was at. And we were talking about it, me and my sister. And it's like, that's weird. How could she possibly know that? He's fine, right? And then he did die. <laughs> and so it's like, how did that happen? I still wonder about that kind of thing as far as death, but it is kind of what led me to seek more as well. So now, so here you are, you know, you have books and articles and you have a community, which we'll talk about. But how do you explain or how do you define first coincidences? And then how do you think they're explained? That's a hard one. I know. Just kind of um, your take on it. Basically, I think that we're all interconnected in ways that we can't see. I think that there's another layer of reality, if you will. I mean, in science, we know there are things we can't measure. So I think it's something like that, where it's some realm or layer that we just can't measure yet, but that connects all of us in different ways. And I think not just us, I think connects us through time. So when I don't know why they happen, I take it as a sign that I'm on the right path, usually, is how I've started to whenever. And sometimes they happen like today, actually. I had a lot of them today. Like I had a few calls and I, we just had back-to-back -back weird synchronicities and coincidences. And sometimes when that happens, I just think I take it as a sign I'm on the right path, which actually is how I used to think about it in college, which again is interesting 
I wasn't really reading anything. It was just my intuition of what it felt like was, oh, okay. So I still think of it like that. And do you still keep a journal of them? Sometimes, but there's too many now to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me back up, if you don't mind sharing. When you started this curiosity and seeking, did you have mentors or leaders? Were there a lot of people involved? How did you pursue that within your own life? Good question. No, I mean, it started off by my mom's readings. And then my friends and I went to see my, I'm from Los Angeles and my friends had been to psychics. I've never been. And then we just went because I got curious and I was like, are they fraud? Like everyone says, you know, and so I went to get readings with my friends and we would swap them to be like, if they're vague in general, like everyone says, we should be able to swap them and they should be true for each of us. But they were not, they were very specific to each individual. And so that was interesting. And then from there, actually, I still wasn't exploring spirituality at that point. I was just exploring the phenomena. And then I heard Chelsea Handler's podcast. She had a psychic medium on and it led me down a reading journey. So at first it was a lot of reading. (laughs) I love reading. I'm a scientist. So a lot, it was a lot of (laughs) reading books and articles and then podcasts. And a lot of it, no, was just on my own. I mean, my friends were kind of on the journey with me. We would share stuff. And then I started, I decided to do a personal project because I thought I need to talk to people about this. So I started interviewing people who considered themselves mystics or intuitives. I interviewed my scientist colleagues because I was curious, like, are they spiritual? Are they religious? Or do they ever have weird things happen to them that they can't explain with science like I did? And then I started interviewing researchers who were doing research into psychic phenomena, coincidences, things like that. But no, I didn't really have, well, that would have been nice to have somebody, but I didn't. It was kind of flying blindly. I mean, it felt blindly, but I don't think it was blind. I think it was all connected. Divinely led, perhaps. So do you have ideas if a person feels like they're seeing coincidences in their life, but they have no idea? what it means or what to do. Do you have any recommendations on what a person might do? Yeah. So Bernard Beitman is a psychiatrist who writes about coincidences. He's actually done research on it. I recommend his books. They're great. What's his name? Bernard Beitman. Okay. But I usually, sometimes I won't know what they mean and that's okay. Like I said, I just take it as a sign I'm on the right path. But I do actually pay attention to the symbols and how they make me feel. And I do think a lot of this comes back. It's all personal, right? Like I think nobody can tell you what coincidence means. So it's always going to be internal. It's always going to be you. But yeah, if I feel like it's really significant and I need to know, then I'll stop and think about how it makes me feel in the moment. And usually that's a hint. But if I don't know off the bat, I'll just write it down and take it as a, okay, well, I'm on the right path. Yeah, I think that's good because, yeah, like you said, I can't tell you what your coincidences mean. It it is very personal and it's what kind of meaning we can derive out of it. So you've co-created this community with other scientists to explore some of this. I'd love to hear a little bit about that and what kind of conversations, what kind of research. And do you feel like there's very many other scientists or neuroscientists that think now the same way that you do instead of the way you did? Yes. So. I was connected a year ago with this other neuroscientist and together we decided we're both in spiritual and neuroscience. And so we have a neuroscience 
society. And every year they have a huge conference. It's 30,000 neuroscientists attend. And so she had the idea of, she's like, we should do an event there, like a neuroscience and spirituality event. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. No one's going to come. You know, I was like, that, that's, I really didn't want to do it. But she made me do it. And we held it last year. And I, like, seriously, I booked a room for like 15 people because I thought nobody would show up. But we had <laughs> 50 scientists show nice. up, like graduate nice. students, postdoc faculty. And it was really interesting because some of them were super familiar with a lot of literature about psychic phenomena, coincidences, reincarnation. I mean, you name it, like esoteric scientific literature. Some of them did not know any of that, but they were like, I have dreams of conversation word for word that come true months later. What is that? A lot of them came with their own experiences and then a lot of them came just interested. And so we had like an amazing conversation for three hours and then they wanted to stay in touch. So we made a community where we could send them, you know, monthly newsletter where we highlight podcasts and articles and stuff that they can read because the literature is actually enormous and it's kind of hard to know where to start. So I created a huge bibliography and we share those and then we're going to do it again this year. But since then, I've also found a few networks. So there's one called the Scientific and Medical Network. It was actually founded in the 70s. And it was for scientists, scholars, and academics who, I guess physicians also, who are interested in alternative models of reality. So the paradigm that current mainstream science goes by is scientific materialism. That's what it's right. called. It's about believing that matter makes up the universe. But there's other models that say consciousness is what makes up the world and matter comes out of consciousness. So they started an organization for scientists to explore those ideas. So I joined them. And then I found even another group this year of 600 scientists and physicians. And it's called the Emergent Phenomenology Research Consortium. And their goal is to get emergent phenomena recognized by medicine. It's because a lot of times people who experience energetic or mystical or spiritual experiences will go to the ER because they don't understand what's happening. Oh. And then the medical establishment in the U.S. doesn't recognize those things as spiritual. So they will put them on antipsychotics, possibly lock them up, give them a diagnosis that will follow them their whole lives. And so this foundation was co-founded by an ER doctor who was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like they are not all psychotic. We need to recognize these experiences for what they are, which is not pathological. So there's 600 of people in that organization. But interestingly, two-thirds of them remain anonymous because the stigma is so strong for wow. coming out. So there is stigma, but there is for sure, my sense is for sure, a growing number of scientists who are interested, curious, possibly experiencers themselves and are, I don't know when if or if there'll be a paradigm flip, but there's definitely a movement of if it can gather enough momentum. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great for those of you that are willing to come out about it, even Alexander's books, you know, I've read many of those and I think it's great that he shows up and some of the other teachers of this now, names I can't recall right now, so you talked about the psychosis diagnosis, and I know that you work also, you do some research or you do some kind of work with the psychedelic science. And 
I don't know much about it. I've heard things here and there. Do you want to talk about that for just a minute? A few sure, minutes, yeah. however many minutes? Okay. Yes. So I didn't know anything about psychedelics, but when I was on the spiritual journey or when I was interviewing people, somebody mentioned to me, they're like, you should look into psychedelics. They're really interesting. Paranormal weird things can happen on them. And I thought, okay, fine. So I started doing literature review on psychedelics, but then, which he was right, but I'll get to that. But what I found really interesting from just a normal science, neuroscience perspective was that there was all this research being done currently on psychedelics and that they were actually very healing for personal issues, mental health issues. So, for example, MDMA is being used, is about to be approved by the FDA for PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then psilocybin mushrooms have been close to being approved, almost there, for depression. So I got really interested in that just from a normal neuroscience period. I was like, oh, what is this? How on earth could a psychedelic, which to me was just a hallucinogen, how could that possibly help with these issues? And what was really interesting is that these issues are notoriously hard to treat. So in psychiatry and psychology, they're just hard to treat. There's no good medicine, like pharmacological solution, only treat the symptoms. Like if you have PTHD, they might help with your anxiety or depression, but they never cure you. You have to be on them forever. And when it comes to behavioral health stuff, like cognitive behavioral therapy or whatever, they only work sometimes for some people, they don't work that well across the board. But the numbers for psychedelics in the studies were mind-blowing. It was like 80% of, 85% in one study of PTSD sufferers were like cured of, of PTS. I mean, cure, that's wow. not even a thing in the other literature. So I was super like, what is going on? Then I dove in deeper and found that what they do essentially, psychedelics basically, and it's not just psychedelics, it doesn't have to be um, and neat. It's called an altered state of consciousness. So okay. you know, our everyday normal state of consciousness is this. I'm talking to you, I'm awake. <laughs> but other states of consciousness are like when you're asleep or you're in that state between sleep and wake where you're kind of sleepy, but you're not fully awake. Psychedelics is an altered state and, you know, breath work. Whenever you get in kind of like a calm meditative state, like when you're driving, that can be an altered state. So these states allow your conscious and subconscious mind to kind of become more permeable to each other, I would say. And our subconscious is where a lot of our traumas, or conditioning or problems are because our our conscious mind wants to tuck everything away like oh i have all this pain i don't want i can't deal with it it's too much i can't and so we just push 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 but just because we push it away the pain doesn't go away it's still there it's in your brain it's energy it's in your body your body remembers it so the only way to release it is to face it but for most of us most of the time it's too hard and painful to do that when you're sober and in a normal state of consciousness. (laughs) But the psychedelics and other altered states, they basically make it easier for you to face those things. They let them come up without all the fear and all the pain, and they let you process it so then you can cry or whatever. You can express your anger or whatever it is, and you get it out. And then it helps your brain. It loosens the connections between your networks and allows for new connections to be made. So you literally get new perspectives and new ways of seeing things from the experience. So then when you come back, not only have you released some of the energy and some of the emotion of whatever you were carrying around, 
your brain has also, quote unquote, rewired itself to remember this new state and to like help you change your behavior if that's what's needed. So it really changes, you know, multiple systems in your body. That's how it helps cure you of things or helps you release things. But again, it's not only psychedelics. There's other modalities like breath work, which is for a lot of people much easier to approach because you can stop doing the breath work at any moment and come back to normal consciousness. Whereas with psychedelics, you're like in for the ride for a while. (laughs) So yeah, so they're really interesting. And then also from yeah, spiritual perspective, if you take higher doses of psychedelics, many people report having mystical or spiritual type experiences where they encounter the divine or the sacred, they merge with it, they become it, they encounter ultimate reality and ultimate love and they come back and a high percentage of people come back as like if they went in as atheists they come back maybe not believing in anything in particular but they may not be an atheist anymore and most of them i think it was a very i can't remember the percentage right now but maybe between 60 to 80 percent come back saying it's the most spiritual and meaningful experience of their life above the death of a parent or the birth of a child so so it really wow. moves you. There's a lot of theories about why that is. But yeah, so there really is a spiritual dimension to psychedelics that opens up people to the possibility of other realities. And that's really interesting. And is this regulated? Because I'm sure you can go down back corner or back alley people where you can buy some things that might be similar. But is there a regulated process in the United States in which, you know, if I or one of the listeners wanted to do something like this, mm-hmm. is there a place you would recommend or a way to start researching what's reputable and what's not? Yes. So they're in the process of being approved for specific conditions. Like I said, MDMA for PTSD, psilocybin for depression. And usually it's at the state level. So for example, Oregon, oh, I think okay. Cal- many states, actually, it's kind of a crazy phenomena that like so many states are passing bills, if not to legalize these substances, then to decriminalize them, which means they ask law enforcement to not make it a priority. So it's not illegal to own the substances, but it won't be legal to sell it. So so that's starting to happen. But the medical context, basically the structure infrastructure is not set up in place quite yet, except for ketamine. Ketamine is approved for depression. And that is available, I think, in many places in the country. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure exactly where, but in many places. So that one is already approved. So soon we'll probably see something similar for MDMA and psilocybin. But again, it's state by state. And then it'll really take off once the FDA approves it. And you bring up a good point because the substances, you should never do them alone, ever. And it's ideal to have somebody guide you through the experience because, as I mentioned, they can bring up emotions and traumas that if you don't have someone there who's trained to help you um, encounter those traumas and emotions, then you basically might re-traumatize yourself or it won't be good. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So you should not do them alone. And definitely it's preferable to have a trained guide. And hopefully, you know, as time moves forward and it becomes approved and we have regulated clinics and things that you can go to, that would be you know, at least for the time being, the best way to access them. Yeah, fascinating. All right. So is there anything you wish everyone knew since you've started this journey 
and knowing your personal background, is there anything you wish everyone knew about, you know, whether it's coincidences or spirituality or any bits of wisdom that you would like to tell the world? Yeah, my biggest struggle was accepting these things just because of my training. So my way around that was encouraging myself to not worry about the mechanism so much and to like if you have a moment of awe and meaning and beauty in a coincidence just lean into it and enjoy it Mm. and it's just not really that important ultimately if you know the mechanism or not so i do encourage people to just enjoy those experiences because they are part of what makes life beautiful and enjoyable so to just yeah. kind of lean into it. Yeah, that's something I've learned. I love that. Yeah, lean into it. Don't try to figure it out. Just be yeah, there with it. Yeah, don't try to explain it away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure listening to you. If people want to know, learn more about you or find out about your book or anything else, any work that you're doing, where can they find you? Everything should be on my website. It's monasobhaniphd.com. Okay, excellent. As I said, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I feel like I've learned so much and I'm going to do some more research. But thank you again for being here today. And for the listeners, thank you and hope to connect with you later. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to head over to RevKarenPodcast.com. That's R-E-V-K-A-R-E-N Podcast.com. There you're going to find the tools for finding more meaning and happiness in your own life. Plus, if you have a story that you want to share with me, either on or off the air, be sure to look for that form. Make sure you follow me so you get notified when new episodes drop. And also, I'd love to connect with you in my Facebook group, Connectedness with Rev Karen. So head over to RevKarenPodcast.com. I hope to see you there.